livingly. Livingly redemptively means to live in such a way that the relationships in which we are engaged through our regular daily, weekly life are influenced with the truth of who God is and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciated that Paul acknowledged that uh, some of you, uh, you may be here and you haven't really been set free. Maybe there's some uh, enslaving addiction. I don't know what it might be. But people who are redeemed can experience the liberating freedom of the grace of God if we will just turn ourselves over to him and then carry that out with us uh, wherever we go. Living redemptively means to uh, bring God into the conversation. doesn't have to be a big, long uh, dissertation on, uh, uh, you know, the inspiration and preservation of the scriptures or anything like that. I just uh, mentioned to someone, I, uh, we've had uh, wonderful conversations with our neighbors uh, just by saying, well, you know, there, I was, something you just said reminded me of something I read in the Bible this morning. And say it, and you let it go. But it's bringing the truth of God, God's reality, into the conversation. Those are like little seeds, seeds of the gospel that then God can bring forth eternal life when we're faithful to do that. Now, we live in a culture that is upside down, a culture that is contrary to us. But because we live in it, sometimes it's it's a little hard for us to know what culture is. Well, here's a working definition, okay? Culture is comprised of all the things that we learn in order uh, to just be accepted, in order to get along, in order to get by in life. And because we grow up in a culture, uh, we are constantly making personal adjustments so that we can interact with those around us. Now, as a culture degenerates and degrades because of human sinfulness, a lot of times Christians just go right along and we don't notice. Years ago, a a careful student of of culture in America uh, used the figure of speech of a frog uh, being in water, and the water temperature was turned up just a little bit, slowly, 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 until pretty soon the frog was boiled. Um, I don't know if people turning up the heat wanted frog legs or what the deal was, but the point is that things can happen gradually and we can get drawn right into it. But God calls us to make a difference, to make a change in the culture in which we live. Um, Another way of identifying culture is uh, to be aware of things that you notice that are different uh, when you're away from your ordinary life setting. Those of you who have traveled to other countries are very aware of this. Even uh, countries that are English-speaking, that drive on the right side of the road, not the wrong side of the road. If you've ever been in one of those countries, uh, you need to remember when you step out into traffic, that you look this way first and not that way. You'll get run over. We had a sailor on our ship uh, get 
uh, seriously injured when we were in port in Malta because they drive on the wrong side of the road over there. And uh, little cultural things, very important to pay attention to. A friend of, a uh, longtime friend of mine, he was a missionary in uh, Irinjaya for over 30 years, had uh, imbibed the Indonesian culture uh, so that uh, when they were home on uh, one of their uh, ministry leaves, uh, furlough, Oren and I were going into a Sherry's restaurant in Milwaukee, and uh, there were some people there also waiting, and the waitress came and flagged us and said, okay, I've got seats ready for you. Well, we were going to have to walk between these people that were conversing. There was a lot of space between them. Oren went ahead of me, but he went like this. I thought, hmm, that was different. And so (laughs) I said to him, what's this funny bow and swooping your arm? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, when we came came in here, you, you did this. Oh, he said, I forgot, I'm in America. In Indonesia, that's the polite way of going between people. We just say, excuse me, and barge on through. That was a cultural thing, and when he did it here, he was out of the culture. He was doing something differently. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can begin to observe culture if we'll pay attention, I've mentioned my, uh, one of my great favorite philosophers, Yogi Berra, former catcher for the New York Yankees. He said, make a lot of observations if you just watch. Well, you can learn a lot about culture if you begin to pay attention. Culture, remember, are those things that uh, we do in order to be accepted, to get along, to get by. It's our interactions with other people. Now, because we live in a culture that's flying upside down, it's good to have people that can show us, can tell us how to live a different kind of life in union with Christ. Uh, So much of the scripture is dedicated to the wonderful reality that we are united with Christ when we put our faith in him. That's the blessed work of the Holy Spirit to do us. So how can we live redemptively in an upside down culture? Well, let's take a look at what Paul was describing uh, that Titus needed to address. In the book of Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, uh, he begins to unpack for us why godly leaders recognize for their godly character not because of popularity, why we need godly leaders. He says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Now, to the pure, all things are pure. 
But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now one of the reasons that uh, we need godly leaders is highlighted by Paul referring to the culture that was even present in the churches there on the island of Crete in the first century. And it's interesting how characteristic this is of the culture in which we live. So we need people who can teach us how to live appropriately in relationship with legitimate authority. Notice it says there are people who are rebellious. They're insubordinate. I'm old enough to remember the 60s. I was alive back then, as many of you were. And uh, the name of the game was resist authority. Fight against authority. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. That was, that was just kind of like permeated the, the college culture at that time, and it spread rapidly uh, through the uh, hippie movement and so forth. It moved right out into everyday life to where nowadays the idea of resisting authority is almost expected. If there's an authority figure, the main thing you do is attack that person. That's sort of like uh, a cultural obligation. This is how you get along. You put down authority. Well, God gave us authority structures for a very good reason, to just bring civility to fallen creatures. We know from the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ, following his, his death, burial, and resurrection, has ascended to the throne of the universe. And he could say to his disciples and on to us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So who do you ultimately look to as your final authority? Well, as Christians, we need to look to the Lord Jesus. But he has delegated authority through four main ways. And we see these lines of authority In Scripture, uh, he's delegated authority in the family structure. Uh, The dad is supposed to be the head of the home. Uh, Mom is supposed to be his side-by-side worker together so that the children learn to enjoy and experience the blessing of following the instruction of their mother and father. That brings order to society. We live in a culture where the family has been horribly attacked, right and left, where uh, uh, people who have an evil agenda take a perfectly good word and twist it to mean something entirely different. For instance, the word marriage. Almost any culture that you go to, except in the Western world now, uh, Marriage is between a man and a woman, biologically. Well, that has been twisted. Uh, That's just one example of this rebellion against authority. Uh, God has given another authority line in the church. 
And that's why we need to have godly leaders and learn how to appropriately respond to that authority that's invested in them uh, by the people who recognize their godly character. There's the authority structure uh, in our government. Whatever kind of government we are told that a nation has, all governments are ordained by God. And it's for the good and blessing of the people, for their protection and so forth. And then there is the authority uh, within the workplace. If you are an employee, you should be under authority and behave appropriately. If you are the boss, the owner of the company, you also have an authority named the Lord Jesus to whom you have to give an account. So there are all these authority structures that we need to learn. How does God want us to interact with them in our day-to-day relationships? As we appropriately respond, then we can be influencing a redemptive peace into the, the culture, the lives of the people with whom we interact. We also need people who will not be empty talkers, but will teach what is sound, teach what is true, teach what has been time-tested through the scriptures in living in relationship with God. That's the kind of teaching that we need because there are plenty of empty talkers going around. Some time ago, I heard a tremendous message on Psalm 1. It's one of the psalms that my grandmother taught us kiddos when we lived with them for three years after our mother died. And uh, we were just little uh, rug beater types. And grandma taught us Psalm 1. And so I was fascinated when I heard this guy begin to open up and unpack Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither and whatever he does will prosper. Ooh, man, what a promise. But the ungodly aren't so. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the ungodly will perish. Boy, wouldn't that be a powerful thing to set the sails for life? You want to succeed. You want to be a blessing. You don't want to wind up perishing. Well, notice it starts off with this powerful statement. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. What is the counsel of the ungodly? Well, what this preacher said really struck me. The counsel of the ungodly is just the way people talk. That's just the way people talk. Most of the conversations have nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with what God has to say. Nothing to do with God's ways of living successfully an abundant kind of life here and now. And you know, we Christians even engage in that kind of frivolous talk. Doesn't have anything to do with God. 
But God wants us to be people who can, by our speaking, not be engaged in the counsel of the ungodly, but can bring the counsel of the godly into the conversation. This begins to sow seeds of the gospel and to make a difference on the people with whom we regularly interact. By the way, that's why God has us in our neighborhood, in the workplace, uh, where we shop, all those kinds of things. Uh, God strategically places us there to make a difference for his glory. Now, there was another problem here uh, that... Uh, we have a similar thing, only in a, in a different form. Notice that in verse 10, uh, Paul refers to those of the circumcision, that is, the Jewish people who insisted that you could not become a Christian until you observed certain Jewish rituals. You had to perform to be accepted by God. It was, well, yeah, you need faith in Jesus, but you also better do this. You know, we live right here in Walla Walla Valley uh, with people who believe that, well, yeah, it's okay to, I mean, you should believe in Jesus, but you also got to do this and don't do that and be sure you don't eat this or that. And I mean, it, the, it just goes on and on. It's gone on and on uh, through generations for 2,000 years from the first century on. This sense of gaining acceptance with God. Now, here's a very important question. Is acceptance with God based on performance? Yes. Not on my performance, not on your performance, but on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. He has done everything necessary to open up free access to the very throne of God. What a tremendous blessing we have. I like what Paul was praying again this morning, leading about how God has set us free. And sometimes we begin to forget the joy and the freedom of access to the being that created everything and holds everything together. Now, if you want to spend a few minutes in a mind-blowing exercise, you just think about that. This being that spoke and everything came into existence wants a personal relationship with you and me. And he's removed every barrier. All we have to do is step into it by faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I love to tell people that knowing Jesus is a very good deal. It is. It's the very best deal going. And we need to be free to tell other people about it. Salvation is not just for a certain class of people. It's for all people. Salvation is is God's transforming, life-changing power. And it's good for everybody. So we need uh, people who can, I need to catch up here, uh, people who will live upright lives, speak the truth, uh, give us the kind of examples that we need. And to remind us that salvation, uh, God's life-changing power, is for all people. In fact, uh, in chapter 2 of this same little book of Titus, this small letter that's so powerful, 
uh, he reminds us, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And this is a wonderful thing that we need to carry as good news with us, that you don't have to do anything to qualify because the Son of God has already done it. What we need to do is believe that he is the one and only Savior and step into that relationship by giving ourselves over to him. Another problem in uh, the culture there was uh, people who were disrupting entire families. And they were doing it uh, just to get money. Um, Historians, uh, I believe rightly, have put put together a picture of the churches on the island of Crete as home churches. They probably met in the homes of well-to-do people. And so these false teachers would weasel their way in in order to try to get some of the wealth from these people who had become believers. And you know, that's still going on today. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, I better not go off on televangelists. But uh, you know what what I'm talking about. Beware of people that are willing to disrupt the truth of who you are in Christ and in God's family. And furthermore, people who will come and mess up your own family, uh, trying to uh, have their own way. God needs people who will be able to teach us how to strengthen our families by example. For a while I was in a, a church where I began to notice an emphasis from the pastor on family until uh, he had started out over here and then he wound up way over here. And what he was saying in so many words was the, the purpose of Christianity is so that you can have a perfect family, that everything will turn out right, that all your kids will be good. Well, who was the first father? God. What happened to his first two kids? They really went off the rails. In fact, we suffer for it thousands of years later. You see, godliness, salvation, never comes by parenting. That's not the goal. The goal is a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father where he brings us back into a right relationship with him. So, Beware of people that wrongly abuse, wrongly use the concept of family. Uh, We want people who can give us examples of what a godly family really is. False teachers are always going to be among God's people. And so we need people who will be able to hold firmly to God's truth. Um, I have a real sorrow in my heart that a church I pastored for a lot of years, uh, 19 years as the lead pastor there, uh, has a man in the church that has published a book that I believe is totally contrary to what Jesus taught, to what the Word of God says. Uh, He's trying to make a case that there is no hell. And what gives me real grief is that I've interacted closely with this man uh, 
lot of years. But the thing that pains me the most is that the men that I left behind, uh, the leaders there, have not told him, no, this is wrong. You will not teach this. You will not give your books to people in this congregation. You see, we need people in the body of Christ who will hold firmly to the word of God, even if it means a fractured relationship. Because God wants purity in the body of Christ. He wants sound doctrine rather than fictitious mythological wishing of the way things would work out. We need to believe and hold steady to the word of God. Then we need uh, people who are motivated by generosity, not by greed. Uh, The false teachers here uh, were greedy for gain. Uh, Even a sordid kind of a gain. Uh, uh, it It would be like they were doing this for tainted money, so to speak. The money wasn't tainted before they got it, but once they got it, then it is. It's uh, corrupted by who it belongs to. And uh, that, that's what was motivating their lives. Now, as we engage with our culture, uh, we may have occasion where we need to uh, just rebuke somebody because they're speaking lies. They're telling what is false. Are trying to get people to believe them. And Paul says here to, to sternly rebuke, to reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. You see the goal of rebuking a person who is getting off the track on what the Bible really says. The goal is to win that person back to the right way. And that takes godly people to hang in there and do that uh, uh, faithfully, depending upon the grace of God. So there's a time when people need to be rebuked. Now notice there on your note taker, uh, Paul quotes this uh, philosopher who himself was from Crete. Uh, Best evidence believes it's a quote from Epimenides. Uh, And he said, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Well, now wait a minute, Epimenides You're from Crete, and you say Cretans are always liars, so why should we believe you? You see, Paul, I believe, was kind of referring to this tongue-in-cheek, saying that, yes, there is kind of a a cultural character that's true of people who have been enculturated in Crete. We know, as I mentioned previously, that uh, they were greedy. Any kind of a deal to get advantage, to make money, uh, it was okay. It didn't matter what you had to do to do it. Well, they're liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, as we begin to interact with people in, in a culture that is contrary to godliness, tensions are going to come up. And I, I came across, as I was uh, reading uh, while I was at home this week, um, a wonderful quote. Listen to what this man says. When we become Christians, tension with others can arise in two ways. First, we draw closer to God. And the gap between the biblical values we are growing into and the cultural values we are leaving behind widens. 
and people notice. Second tension is because God loves people. When we draw closer to God and become more like Jesus, we cannot help but love people too. Although sanctification creates a gap between us and others, God's love flowing through us works to bridge this gap. So it's like this. If, say, I'm growing closer to God, which by his grace uh, I can say I'm closer to God now than I was a year ago, and I hope that's true of you. So we grow closer to God. We grow away from the culture around us and the people in it. So here they are, over here, separated from us. And they say, that guy's really different. He doesn't do what we do. We used to do that together, but now he doesn't do that. He's weird. He's a Christian. What's with him? Well, that can happen. But my response is to love that person and bridge that gap, to come to them, to demonstrate the love of Christ, the caring relationship. After the first service, uh, a real sweet lady came up to me and she said, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in some relationships, the family network and, and other pl- places where I interact, where being a Christian is just becoming harder and harder. Uh, people put me down because I don't do what they're doing. And she wondered, how do you handle this? Well, I've been advised and, and practiced this. When somebody wants you to participate in something that you believe is not in line with God's way and God's word, one of the things you can do is just say, well, uh, thank you for offering. Thank you for inviting. But I'm just really not free to do that. And I know you don't want my conscience to be hindered any more than I would ask you to do something that would violate your conscience. And so you can continue to be friends. Another thing you can do is to say, you know, my relationship with you really matters. And you're aware that it's hard for me to relate to this lifestyle that you've chosen, but you mean more to me than lifestyle differences. So if I can tolerate you, could I ask you to tolerate me? in my life choices. You see, we need to, uh, rather than just blast a person and say, get away from me, sinner. No, we need to remember that we too are sinful people. We're nothing but recovering sinners ourselves. And so let's be used by God to help recover them from their sin. That's what I'm talking about when we we say uh, live redemptively. Uh, We live uh, a different kind of lifestyle, on purpose, and by design. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's just uh, the manner of dress and where you go and where you don't do and all of that. No, it's not, it's not that. It's about the, the core values in our heart. It's about what's really important and so forth. So evaluate your lifestyle. I like what uh, one of the... Uh, pastors of a, a very uh, culturally connected church in Portland uh, posed this question. He said to people, so you're in favor of the wall, 
but do you do anything to withstand the killing of babies? Hmm. You see, that's tapping in to choices, lifestyle, the way we think, the way we live. Another one of the people that uh, he refers to in this book that he recently published, a young man that came to Christ, and he was working with this new believer to get him grounded in the truth of God's word and God's way and, and the way that Christians are different from the world, and yet we're still in the world. And this young man said to him, you know, this is really weird. I can't figure it out. He said, I talked to people at your church uh, since I've been coming there, and they are more worried about who I'm sleeping with than what I'm doing with my money. You see, he put his finger on a cultural difference going on between him and his new belief in Christ and what he saw as mature Christians. He could see that the way that a lot of Christians use their money doesn't have much to do with the ways of God. It's just the same as the ways of the world. Well, God wants us to have lifestyles that are different. A people who can hold firm to the word of God, be generous, uh, be able to point out and rebuke lies when they surface, a lifestyle difference, and to remind people that acceptance with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do, it's about what he has done. It's not about, what, about who you are, but it's about who he is. That's why it's a relationship that we enter into by faith and not by performance. We live in a, a culture uh, that is seriously decaying. If you want to read more about that, you can read in Romans chapter 1. I've given you a note on that in the back of your note taker. Um, Romans chapter 1 describes the degeneration, the decay of any culture that begins to rule God out, say, no God. And it begins by not being thankful. So in our own life, we can begin to wander off when we, re, when we forget to thank God for all of his goodness and his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Well, what was it that God saw in that culture in Crete? Or we could say, what does God see in the culture of Walla Walla that's worth redeeming? Well, first of all, people. People are more important to God than anything else. And I think we need to come to terms with that because... Uh, we get all uh, captivated by possessions or by a power or whatever and forget that the only thing God wants off of planet Earth is people. And when he makes a new heaven and new earth, what's he going to put back on that perfect place? People. People who have experienced his new life by faith in Jesus Christ. God is about redeeming authority structures. And so one of the things that a lot of Christians need to come to terms with is the sense of who's in charge in your work. Who's in charge? Well, 
Who's in charge in your neighborhood? Who's in charge when you go into the store? Well, really, Jesus Christ is in charge. He has the say over everything. And that's good news, because as long as we obey him, we'll most often be in good shape with governing authorities and with other authority structures. Uh, God wants to redeem our communications, our relationships uh, between people. The importance of being people who know how to be forgiven and to forgive. People who know how to experience peace with God through the gospel and share that peace with others and help others to make peace. You know, that's a tremendous calling that God has given the church in our culture is to be people of peace because he is a God of peace. He is a God who's done everything necessary to make peace with rebel people. He wants us to be part of his great family. And so in our communication and our relationships, uh, God does wonderful things. Uh, One of these days I'd like to uh, share a story with you about uh, modern communications and how they're being used uh, for the grace of God, the gospel message. Um, God wants to redeem families. I really appreciate that Trinity is uh, sponsoring and actually doing uh, divorce care. A tremendous need in our culture because families are being beaten up right and left. And God wants us to have the kind of compassion toward people whose family has just been blown to smithereens to help them become part of his family. And perhaps even be people who can help their family be restored. You see, that's part of the great gospel message is that God restores broken hearts, broken people, broken relationships. God does that by his saving grace. And he calls us to be part of that. God wants to redeem the value systems of a culture. How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Ooh, good, we got a lot of confessors here. I want to ask who you're rooting for because the Kansas City Chiefs already got aced out. And uh, my wife is from Kansas City, so I always have to root for them. But here's the point about the Super Bowl. I was looking at uh, a little website uh, this last week, and last year, 30 seconds of commercial time during the Super Bowl cost a million? No. Two million? No. Three million? Four million? Uh Uh-uh. Five million? $50,000 for 30 seconds. Now, I didn't do the math how much that would be per second, but uh, pretty steep. What does that tell us about our value system? When people are homeless, uh, people are hungry, uh, people are being abused, and where is money going? Well, our value system... Uh, What really matters uh, needs to be reflective of God's values. 
So our value system and then our worldview, the way we explain what's there. A lot of people have been told a myth. It's a destructive legend that everything that is just happened by chance. That is a myth, people. That is a fantasy that leads people into eternal destruction when they believe that. The scriptures give us a worldview of a totally loving, all-powerful, eternally existent being that spoke everything into existence, and it's by the power of his word, he keeps everything together. It's because Jesus Christ is on duty that you don't fall through your chair. Literally. He holds everything together by his powerful word. This is the being that is beyond our imagination, and yet he wants a relationship with us. And I'll tell you, when you buy into the biblical worldview, things take on a very different perspective. We don't live in an empty universe. We don't live in a hostile environment. We live in a reality where a loving father, a sacrificing son, and a comforting present Holy Spirit permeates everything. I don't know about you, but I like that. That's good news for me. You need to meditate on that. Think about it. What it is it that really forms your sense of reality? God is about transforming and redeeming a culture's sense of right and wrong. My friend Oren that I told you about that did the quirky thing when he was walking between people, lived and ministered to a culture of uh, people who had been isolated for millennia, would be called Stone Age. In their culture, if one of the male members of their family was killed in a skirmish with a neighboring village because they fought each other all the time. Uh, It was the right and good thing to do to get a little girl and chop her finger off. That didn't seem like a very good idea to me. Uh, They have uh, women that had most all their fingers missing. Um, You see, what we call right and wrong does make a difference. Maybe you've heard, I'm sure you have, that the great state of New York has now said it's okay for a baby to be born. They take this brand new life, an eternal soul, and can turn around and begin to remove the body parts for sale. To me, that is immorality of the worst kind because it's destroying what God has created to represent his image here on planet Earth. We need a moral revolution in our country to return to what is right and wrong, but only God can do that. We need to be his spokesman in grace and compassion into this world in which we live. God is about redeeming spirituality. When I was ministering as a interim at Grace Church in White Salmon in the Columbia River. Uh, Two sisters came to visit me uh, 
probably in their mid-40s. I didn't know them. I'd never met them. Uh, they came to ask me a, to do funeral arrangements for the husband of one of them who had taken his life just a few days previously. Well, that really overwhelmed me. And um, so I was trying to find out a little bit more of their story. And they said, well, they had just recently moved there. And I said, well, what brought you to this area? And they said, the Columbia Gorge has a spirituality. And I said, do you know him? To them, spirituality is not personal. It's there. And they sense it, but they had no awareness that it's a loving God who created this beautiful piece of country to draw people's attention to how awesome he is. I shared the gospel with them. They'd never, ever heard it. Didn't make a decision for Christ then. But you see, there's a a longing and a hunger for real spiritual connection because God has built that into the human heart. So never, never apologize for talking about spiritual reality. People may want to put you down, that's okay. But what's real is real and people know it because God's word says so. So redeem uh, spiritual conversations as much as you can to help people connect uh, with the true and living God. Well, this is a high calling. It's something that uh, takes maturity. We want the kind of church leaders that can help us and even coach us into living that kind of a redemptive life. I'd like to read to you a prayer and listen to this. Almighty Father, beloved Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you for being willfully present with us in our lives. Teach us to be willfully present in the lives of those around us. We confess our need of holiness. May your example shine through us. We confess that we are often attracted more to culture than less to you. Teach us, use us to live faithfully in this tension with the world around us. We confess the need to be reconciled with those who hurt us and with those whom we have hurt. Teach us how to live sacrificially in your name. We thank you for the life and witness of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for many spiritual gifts showered on us by your Holy Spirit. Grant us strength for the day, grace for those we meet, and peace. In Jesus' precious name, amen.